Today's scripture reading is Acts 16, 16 to 40. I'm reading from ESV. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke, and so that the prison doors were open. He threw his sword and about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the, the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent you to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged him and departed. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Anne. Um, we're continuing in Acts. 
And uh, before we do that, let me just go ahead and pray one more time. Lord, thanks for today. Uh, thank you for your word. I pray that you would just fill us up uh, and, and, and teach us what you want us to know and help it to transform our lives. Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, transform us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Christianity is like a nail. The harder you hit it, the deeper it goes. Christianity is like a nail. The harder you hit it, the deeper it goes. In 1966, Mao, he cast Western missionaries out of China and he persecuted Christians. This book called A Star in the East actually reports that ironically, the Christian, uh, the persecution of Protestants may have been the single most beneficial event and the success of Christianity in China. There's an estimated 80 million Christians in China right now. See, uh, this persecution transformed the Chinese Christian movement into a local movement led by the Chinese. So no longer were they relying on the Western missionaries to lead the church. They had to rely on themselves and that was beneficial to the community. Number two, it got rid of the liberal missionaries who didn't really believe in Jesus. If you don't really believe Jesus is the son of God, why get persecuted for it? Why lose your life or experience suffer, suffering for him? Uh, and so it got rid of that. And number three, those who endured genuinely believed in Christ. And so it, it kind of had a way of refining uh, Christianity. You're only a Christian if you really believe it. Christianity is like a nail. The harder you hit it, the deeper it goes. Do you think that's true of the church in America? If our country persecuted us, would we go deeper into Christ and into Christianity? Would we become more faithful Christians? Or would we protest? Or would we rejoice? How would we respond? Would we see the trial as an opportunity or as hardship? See, Paul and Silas and the early Christians, they face persecution. They face a lot of it all throughout their time as missionaries. And today, as we look at the city of Philippi, this is where Paul later writes the letter of the Philippians too. So this is just our introduction to them. So Paul and Silas, Timothy, Luke, they have just planted a great church in the city with uh, Lydia, the businesswoman, a slave girl, who, uh, and uh, well, they're going to do that now, and a jailer. Uh, but now uh, the government is trying to shut them down. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's this crazy story of, of Paul uh, freeing this young girl from an evil spirit, being cast into jail, and yet God uses it for good. And out of this event, he pulls uh, this young slave girl and this jailer to help uh, form a church. Now, this young slave girl is known for her fortune telling, right? She has a demon in her and she uh, is able to use that to, to tell people's fortunes and her masters use that to make money. Uh, and this girl uh, begins to follow Paul and Silas and their ministry as they're, they're going about. And one day as they're going down uh, to the river to pray, uh, this slave girl cries out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Apparently, this was not the first time that she had done this, uh, but it uh, is the last time because Paul loses his temper. Uh, Paul is not a perfect guy. 
Uh, he grows so annoyed, he calls the demon out. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And of course, he comes out of her, and she loses her abilities, which is a good thing. Uh, but her business owners, her masters, also lose their, uh, their source of income. They become angry. They seize Paul and Silas, and they throw them into jail. Uh, but not before a mob beats them with rods. Can you imagine an angry sweaty mob surrounding you and beating you with rods that would be terrifying uh, but they go through it for the lord what paul and, and silas experienced was like a riot uh, you know i, I was thinking back and it's like if i ever been through anything like this and the only time that i could sort of say well i have some idea uh it's just like maybe like a one percent idea was uh at a time in high school my brother and i we were going down to our car and we were by the lake our marina and some kids came up to us and we're like did you pour mustard on our car and we're like no <laughs> why would we do that apparently uh there was like a prom and some other kids maybe pranked or did something malicious to them but they thought it was us uh, and then we went and got into our car. They actually tried to surround our car as we were driving off. Uh, it was very scary. I uh, did not speak words of edification, uh, but uh, we were safe. We were fine, you know, and maybe you have something like that in your own uh, uh, mind that this will jog it. But just take that and then amplify it like a hundred times, right? That this was a riot. This was closer to what we saw in the news a couple of weeks ago. Um, they got beaten. They were hurt, uh, bruised, and, and bloodied, and uh, dazed. And then they were taken to jail, uh, thrown, in, thrown into the prison, and their feet was shackled. This was not a comfortable, fun experience. Uh, but that's what they experienced. Uh, and uh, they, were, they were victims. They weren't the perpetrators of this riot. Um, I, I was kind of reading this passage, and I was wondering, like, was this Paul's fault, right? Because it says that he kind of grew angry. He, he got frustrated and he snapped. Uh, and so I made a chart. I hope John was able to, uh, to upload it. Uh, but it asked this question. Is it really Christian persecution or just my fault? Okay, great. There it is. Is it really Christian persecution or just my fault? How can we tell if what we're experiencing in our culture is actual persecution, or if it's perhaps uh, because we've been behaving badly. And so I asked this question and I have uh, uh, kind of this way of saying, well, if suffering is a result of faithfully following Jesus and sharing him, then yes, that is Christian persecution. Jesus taught us that his uh, followers, that his disciples would face suffering. So John chapter 15 verses 18 and 20 say this, it says, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But all these things will go, will, they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So if they persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute his followers. Uh, and so if you're genuinely following Jesus, you should expect to experience some form of persecution. But notice it said, uh, on account of my name, right? So if you suffer on account of my name, not on account of your name or on account of your behavior or on account of your political agenda or on account of your, your civil engagement uh, or on account of you, um, <laughs> you know, getting upset about something. No, if you're persecuted on, a, on, on account of my name, 
on account of Jesus' name and uh, faithfully obeying him and, and faithfully witnessing about him, then yes, that's persecution. Uh, and then we come back to Paul, because does Paul, like where does Paul fit in this chart? Was he faithfully following Jesus and sharing him? Yes. But was he also kind of behaving a little badly? Yes, as well. Uh, you know, I think God providentially allowed Paul to lose his temper, uh, but that doesn't excuse it. Uh, I think good things came about uh, because he cast that demon out. But the word it says that he became greatly annoyed, and this is a this word is used elsewhere in Acts to describe the priests and the captain of the temple uh, and the Sadducees. They felt greatly annoyed at Peter and John for preaching the gospel. So it's not like a character quality that is like a nice character quality. And Paul is both, isn't he? He's faithfully following Jesus, he's sharing him, and yet he's also behaving badly. So I think there's this middle zone for us, maybe. But I think as we look at Paul, like it's clearly he was persecuted for following Christ, right? He he did what God wanted, and uh, and he suffered for it, uh, you know. And I think sometimes there's this, there's this other zone, right? That you know we just behave badly and. And it's not persecution, but you know maybe there's a mixture, right, of where we're trying to follow Jesus, but then we make mistakes. Well, that's up to the Lord whether that's persecution or not. So I wanted to give kind of two examples of this. Uh, I read an article this week entitled "What Is Christian Persecution?" because I was trying to figure this out for myself. Uh, I found this article on Ligonier Ministries, uh, and it says this. It says uh, he tells this story. Uh, uh, he says, the first was a young professional, right? So he's talking about a young professional. He was full of love for Jesus and zeal to see the gospel spread. Uh, Steve became burdened about an unconverted coworker and saw it as his Christian duty to witness to this man in an effort to persuade him to become a believer. His zeal caused him to spend hours of his time at work talking to his friend about salvation and explaining the gospel to him. When his boss warned him to stop pushing his religion while on the clock, Steve took it as an affront to the Lordship of Christ and refused. After he was fired, he told me his story in terms of suffering for his faith. Steve saw himself as being, having been persecuted by his boss. So what do you think? Was it Christian persecution? Or did he lose his job because he wasn't using his time to do his work? I tend to think it was more, you know, he wasn't using his time well. He was actually stealing time from his employer. Now, I do believe there can be spirit-inspired moments to share the gospel at work with a coworker. Maybe it's as you're doing work, as you're driving. I was thinking back to the time when I worked for the the Farm Credit Administration, right? My, sometimes I would I would do something like what this guy did, and uh, you know that's on me. But uh, other times, you know, it was as we were driving, right, or as we were traveling. Then it was like, okay, this is a great time to to talk about faith and talk about God, and those were probably the the better moments. <laughs> Right. Uh, and so we want to be careful that uh, we not only obey Jesus and share about him, but then also, you know, honor our, our, our employers. God calls us to do everything as if unto him and to do a good job for our employers to, to work hard. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we want to honor God in all things, uh, including the way we uh, interact. The, this writer shares another story of, it, of his experience of meeting one of China's most famous Christians, uh, this pastor named Samuel Lamb. Samuel Lamb spent 20 years in a communist prison enduring extreme privation because he refused to quit preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I met Samuel Lamb while visiting the church that gathered in his home in Ganzhou, China. 
I'm sorry if I said that wrong. After two hours of worship in cramped conditions, our group of 10 American pastors was invited to talk with Pastor Lamb at length. I will never forget his response to one of our questions about persecution and the advance of the gospel. He said this, In America, the church has experienced prosperity and is growing weaker. In China, the church has experienced persecution and is growing stronger. Persecution is much better than prosperity. So the first time Lamb went into prison, he had 30 members in his church. The second time he went into prison, he came out and there were 100 believers. The third time he came out of prison, he preached to four to 5,000 people every week. Christianity is like a nail. The harder you hit it, the deeper it goes. The Bible tells us that Christians will face persecution, tribulations, trial. Timothy uh, received a letter from Paul that said this. As a young pastor, he said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I think that means that genuine Christians who are sharing Christ and living for him every day should expect to receive pushback in life. You know, they should expect to receive trial. We should expect to receive trial and pushback. Now, maybe those attacks come from outside the church, right? From non-believers, maybe family members or friends or co-workers who uh, perhaps uh, do a mild form of making fun of us or something like that. Uh, but it could also come from inside the church, right? That it's hard just to follow Christ. Now, uh, what if we're not experiencing persecution, right? What if we haven't experienced trial? Well, I don't think we want to read trial in, uh, into situations where it's not there, so we don't want to invent it. Uh, but we also want to assess ourselves and say, you know, am I genuinely following Christ? Am I risking myself to be obedient to Jesus, or am I so comfortable with my Christian life that it never costs me anything? You know, if, if Paul says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, it kind of assumes that, you know, we will generally face persecution. And so I think there's a word of advice in here. Paul does not say, Timothy... Trying to figure out ways to avoid Christian persecution. He says, it'll come. Face it with Jesus. You know, and so we as Christians locally as a church, as Cornerstone, but then like, like nationally as a church body, all the different Christian churches, we should, we should kind of assess ourselves and say, am I spending a lot of time trying to avoid Christian persecution by lobbying and doing other things or setting ourselves up so that we don't have to face hardship? Or am I focusing more on following Jesus? I think we're supposed to focus on following Jesus and leave the persecution uh, up to him, to be obedient to the mission God has given us. If we go back to the end of Paul's first missionary journey, he said, uh, he, he, he said some things that probably could have been very challenging to those early Christians. Acts 15.22 says this, Paul and Barnabas returned, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So we're all going to face tribulations. We're all going to face trials. We'll wrestle with doubt. A loved one will get sick. Maybe a, a friend will die. Uh, but even as we go through trial or persecution, where we face hardship for our faith, uh, we can trust in Christ Jesus. Now, I think it's worth kind of distinguishing between persecution versus loss of privilege. And I've already touched on this a little bit, but I want to go into it a little bit more. Uh, 
See, genuine Christian persecution can take the form of various degrees of persecution. So I have this chart. I hope John has that one as well. You can put up uh, 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 pastor online so I can share this. All right. So there's different degrees. There's normal, moderate, and uh, severe persecution, hard persecution. And uh, you have things that are perhaps more social, right? Facing ridicule, being reviled, disapproval, harassment, mockery, jeers. These aren't fun, These are, but they're a form of persecution. How about moderate, maybe more uh, financial or legal threats, economic sanctions? You know, I just received uh, a, an email from a church and, well, a, a missions organization uh, in France. It's through this missions organization that uh, I believe we support, Thierry Marone. And they're saying that there's this new law that is going to be passed in France, uh, which is going to make their lives incredibly difficult, right? And that's from the missionaries on the ground. I guess the the law will make it so that they'll be audited financially, but then there are also their teachings have to be will sort of be watched over. And if they say anything that the government interprets as inciting hate or violence, that they can be shut down. Uh, that there is, um, you know, they have to be financially audited. If they mess up, the, the pastor can be fined 10,000 euros. <laughs> Just some some wild stuff. Uh, and then they have to, like, put in this application every five years to even be considered a church, and it can be turned down or taken away for no reason whatsoever. Uh, these are hurdles that we don't have to jump through. You know, in France, it's a secular state. Uh, it means it's it's uh, it's not even like there's a division, like a healthy division, separation between church and state. There's like uh, almost this um, corralling of religion or or pushing it to the sides, a marginalization. It's much more active, and so you you see some of these, you know, loss of employment, loss of property, things like that um, taking place in places like that. And then you have severe uh, persecution that could be being thrown in jail or, or even loss of life, uh, even tortured, uh, some pretty serious things. And so there are different degrees of persecution. All right, I'm done with that slide, John. How about loss of privilege, though, right? Now, loss of privilege is different because, uh, you know, we as Christians have experienced a privileged position in our culture and in the public square for uh, many years. Uh, but as America becomes more pluralistic, right, we see more uh, variety of more beliefs, a uh, variety of, uh, of opinions on God and spirituality. We see different religions uh, increasing and growing. Our culture becomes more and more pluralistic. And for that reason, you know, we see a loss of things like prayer in the public schools or displaying the Ten Commandments in uh, in uh, civil settings and in kind of, uh, you know, public buildings. I do not see that as Christian persecution. I see that as a loss of privilege. You know, we're no longer in a position where our religion is sort of elevated publicly. Uh, but I also see it now as kind of an equalizer. We're uh, like the other religions that aren't uh, prioritized in a public setting, uh, who's not elevated in that way. Maybe you've heard of the war on Christmas, right? That, uh, you know, people say happy holidays, which is just happy holy days. Uh, <laughs> or, the, you know, like the Starbucks, uh, the Starbucks uh, coffee mug that it doesn't say Merry Christmas. I don't think that's persecution. I think it's, uh, and, and when we when we say, and I'm, I'm not accusing anyone of at our church of saying it, but just 
as kind of Christians uh, culturally, when we say, oh, that's persecution, or we get upset about those things, I think it just cheapens what actual persecution is, uh, right? And, I, and I, I would even go so far as to say during COVID that the church has not been persecuted against. Uh, you know, that businesses and movie theaters and restaurants are having strict limitations put on them, right? And so when we have to abide by those same limitations, when we have to social distance and wear masks, that's not Christian persecution. Uh, and I think it's unloving of our neighbors when we uh, disobey those things and sort of take this stance of like, we need to be able to not social distance and not wear masks and, and sing all we want. And, and to me, that just seems like we're not loving our neighbor uh, the right way when we do that. Uh, true Christian persecution is a very serious thing. So I prayed, you might've heard in the, the pastoral prayer, praying for just persecuted countries around the world. And I was using a list called the World Watch List, and that's from Open Door USA. Uh, and they keep track of pers persecution all around the world, and they publish the top 50 countries where it is uh, the most difficult to follow Jesus. I prayed for North Korea. North Korea is number one. Uh, they report that there are about 400,000 Christians there. That's an estimate. They really don't know. Uh, but if you're a Christian in North Korea, if you're discovered, you might be immediately executed. Uh, and if not, you and your entire family may be thrown into a concentration camp, a prison camp, where you will most likely die. Uh, that's way different than what we experience. Uh, and how about even the, 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 so that's the hardest place. What about the 50th most persecuted place? So if you go to the bottom of that place, there's the Union of Cameroos, uh, and it's an island uh, in the Indian Ocean. And if you share your faith there, you'll face legal consequences. And some Christians even face violence. Uh, and most keep their faith private. There's only about 4,200 believers there. If you look on this list, America is not on this list. <laughs> America is not on the list of top 50 uh, most persecuted countries. Uh, and so we don't want to pretend like we are. Uh, and so we want to... Uh, you know, uh, be careful with the way we interact with things like uh, persecution, to not, to not be quick to claim it. See, I believe, and we see in this passage today, that genuine persecution is an opportunity for joy and to see the Holy Spirit move in incredible ways. Paul and Silas, they are chained in prison. And what are they doing? They're singing. They're singing. They're praising God. Prison is no joke. <laughs> like, they didn't feed you. Uh, they, they didn't take care of you. It was a place where they put you until the government officials decided what to do with you. You had to have friends uh, or Christian believers who would come and provide for you, your food and for your needs. Uh, it was not a pleasant place to be. And if you didn't have that, you would just die. You'd just waste away. Uh, but Paul and Silas, they're not worried. They're not worried. They have joy. And I think they probably see it as an opportunity to, to serve God. At about midnight, there's this earthquake and the door goes flying open and their shackles fall off. Here, here are Paul and Silas, they're singing and, and God does something. And you would think like, it's a wide open door, right? Christians, we always play, pray for open doors, right? Here's your chance, Paul, go through the door. You can get out of here. And in other instances, he does go through the door. Um, but not here. Uh, instead, he stays uh, because he must have sensed that the Holy Spirit wanted him to say, stay. Uh, and they're joyful, they're happy, 
they're they're following the Holy Spirit, and then you know the jailer comes running out and thinks, well, they must have escaped, and he knew that his life would be forfeit if they did. So he draws his sword to kill himself, and Paul saves his life. He says, we're still here. <laughs> we're still inside. And then the jailer rushes in and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. The, the jailer and his family, they hear the gospel, they repent, and they believe in Christ Jesus, and they're baptized. So here's the question, what if God wants the shackles on Christians, what, what if God wants to put the shackles on Christians so he can take it off non-Christians? What if God wants to put the shackles on Christians so he can take it off non-Christians? What if he wants us to experience captivity so he can set the captives free? Doesn't it strike you that this is what Jesus experienced? See, the Son of Man uh, not like you and I are free, like he was truly free, free, like the son of man was God in the, uh, you know, from all eternity past, exploring the universe, creating the world, living, moving, boundless. And yet he allowed himself to be bound in human flesh. The son of God allowed himself to be held captive in human bones and skin in the form of a little baby boy. And then a teenager and a, a, a grown man, all, all of them getting dirty and stinky and sweaty and living a tough and challenging life 2,000 years ago. But then he allowed himself to be even held more captive by the cross. See, Jesus was persecuted as he was tortured and whipped and put a crown of thorns on and then nailed to a cross. But he did it out of love. <laughs> He, he did it so that uh, he could pay the penalty for our sins. So that if any repent and believe in him, if we repent and believe in him, we'll receive eternal life. It's by his crucifixion and torture and persecution that you and I get to experience eternal life. And so as we think about our own lives, like, man, should our goal be running away from persecution? I don't think so. It shouldn't be, you know, inventing persecution when it's not there. But it shouldn't be being afraid of it because God uses death to bring about life. Uh, that's the gospel. We believe in a God of resurrection, right? Who brings life out of death. So count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. So that's when the Holy Spirit moves. And, uh, you know, as we think about this story, I find it fascinating that, you know, uh, the, the the magistrates come, uh, oh, they, they tell them to leave the prison. And, and uh, Paul says that like, you know, I'm a Roman citizen. <laughs> I'm a Roman citizen. How did you, why did you beat us and, and hurt us without a fair trial? He could have exerted his rights when the crowd came. He could have exerted his rights right when he was accused by the, the, the masters of that slave girl. Right, right down by the river. And yet he purposely chose to deny his use of his rights as a Roman citizen. I don't know why. He must have sensed that the Holy Spirit wanted him to deny his rights so that God could do incredible things. Maybe they would have just taken Silas. I don't know. Uh, uh, but but Paul didn't didn't exert his rights as a citizen of Rome. And it, and it cost him 
a beating. It cost him pain and suffering. Christianity is like a nail. The harder you hit it, the deeper it goes. What rights might God call us to give up or to, to say, you know what, I'm not going to fight for that because I have other things that are way more important to do, like sharing Christ and making disciples. I think this should be a reminder for us to first pray. Let's pray for those persecuted brothers and sisters in places like North Korea and Afghanistan and the Union of Comoros and France. Uh, and I think if we're tempted to claim that we're being persecuted or you know, whether it's at Christmas time or uh, you know due to COVID, I think we need to be careful with our words. I'm so glad that we at Cornerstone are doing our best to try to follow uh, all, all the government guidelines put in place. I think that's what it means to submit to our governing authorities. And I think that's what we're supposed to do. Find creative ways to, to, to worship, like what we're doing right now online, uh, and still obey the government in this area. Uh, genuine persecution is an opportunity for joy and to see the Holy Spirit move in incredible ways. Christianity is like a nail. The harder you hit it, the deeper it goes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for just this reminder about what persecution is. I pray that you would just lead us forward. Help us to, uh, to just encounter these things with a mindset that's set on you uh, instead of a mindset that's just trying to figure out how to get out of it or, or, or just have us other goals beyond the goals that you want, Lord. We want to follow your Holy Spirit. We want to sense your leading. I pray that you would use this sermon to do whatever you want with it. Uh, Lord, uh, maybe it's the start of a conversation. I don't know. Uh, we love you, Lord, and we, uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the, the, our service today, we're just going to close. Um, we don't have, for some reason I was thinking today is, I guess, the doxology. But that's next week. We'll look forward to singing the doxology together for communion. Uh, uh, but I'll just uh, do a benediction, which means blessings from Numbers chapter 6. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you for sticking with the weird technical difficulties today, uh, many of which were my fault. Uh, glad to have you as my church family. Love you guys. Have a wonderful day. God bless.